0: All right, so the second part of um, my talk, or second part of my obligations today is to really talk about the transition of care. So I agree that the word transition probably is um, something that we need to rethink about and really should be transfer of care, but it's certainly not, you know, one day you're um, a kid and the next day you become an adult, right? So that doesn't really happen. So let's talk about how we as the practitioners can do a much better job at raising our children and the parents that go along with them to seamlessly go on to the next stage of their life into young adulthood. These are my disclosures. So this is my little girl. So here's Rebecca when she was a pipsqueak and then has moved on. And clearly she didn't jump from this to this Overnight, There was uh, many years of development, many years of education, um, many years of going to the pediatrician before she became a young adult. And so as we look at our patients, and for those of us who are in pediatrics, we really understand there's a huge developmental process, a lot for the child but certainly some for the parents as well. And so my um, point is to really embrace all the stages, but most importantly, just as we prepare all of our children that we either know, take care of, aunts, uncles, cousins, whatever, um, we don't just say to them that, you know, next step is college. We've actually done a lot of work to prepare them to go on to that next step. And the same thing should happen in their medical world. Oops, okay. So it is a village that, takes, uh, that it takes in order to move that patient from one setting to the next. We know that there's a number of adolescents with IBD that it's rising, that 20 to 30 percent of all IBD t- patients are diagnosed under the y- age of 18, that there's been certainly a rise in the number of uh, new patients that are diagnosed with IBD and certainly for Crohn's disease. We know also there are different parts of the world where the incidence and prevalence there of inflammatory bowel disease is rising and continues to rise. And if you take a look at the map here, it really is the industrialized nations. And there are many theories that go along with it, but we won't go into that today. And there are certainly differences in the presentation of patients with IBD who are either pediatric or adult. We certainly know that for pediatrics, a much more aggressive behavior, that in ulcerative colitis, it's much more extensive, that the upper GI tract is involved way more in Crohn's disease than um, in the adult population, and that there's also growth impairment. The adults tend to have a slower onset of disease and it's mostly left-sided. So often what happens in places where pediatric gastroenterologists are underrepresented or those where the access is basically nil you can hear many stories about 14- and 15-year-old patients that were taken care of by the adult provider and, you know, were basically given misalamine for their UC because they did a flex sig in the office only to understand within weeks that they have extensive disease in the hospital. And so the appreciation of the difference between how pediatric IBD presents versus adult really needs to be understood. The initial diagnosis can be very different and can be a huge part of how the parent-patient interaction is. So for instance, if your initial diagnosis is at a very young age, the parent is usually the one who's the speaker and the child is that of the passive role and that the parent seems to take over every decision-making, knows everything about the patient's well-being, how often they go to the bathroom, what the stool looks like. I can't tell you how many beautiful pictures on, on my Connect where I see poop multiple times a day in the toilet, in the diaper, or whatever. But then if you're a little bit older and around the onset of puberty, that may also change the dynamic between the parent and the patient, and that what I'm trying to say here is that there's a huge developmental impact on when a patient actually gets diagnosed. And certainly by the time they're in late adolescence where they're just dying to be independent, where the parent has not seen a child's poop in, I don't know, 15 years, that all of a sudden that uh, they're, they're being given restrictions and they're told that they have to eat a certain way um, and that now that the parent is um, having less of a role, it can really impact how that office visit may go. So again, it really isn't a transition, and it's not all of a sudden a leap from one uh, point to the next. It really has to be a good, um, seamless transfer of care, and therefore not a jump. So there are differences between pediatrics and uh, the adult health care system. So for instance, if you think about your practices in pediatrics, we have everyone in the office. We have mom, dad, the siblings, grandma, the aunt, but... In the adult office, it's usually one-on-one where you have the patient and the physician. The parents make a lot of decisions in peds, but at this point when you're in the adult world, the uh, one patient has adult decision-making that the patient has more of a passive role in PEDS and has less autonomy, and certainly that's much more um, of a different situation when you come to the adult office. The appointments tend to be lengthy for um, pediatrics, so it's not very businesslike because there's a lot of psychosocial things that go on with mom and dad asking questions versus a very uh, focused-type appointment with the adult side that we don't necessarily uh, look for... Uh, I should say we are much more proactive about the pubertal and growth issues in PEDs, and um, when you get to the adult side, they're not really looking for growth failure. Certainly in the PEDs population, we're not looking for uh, fertility and pregnancy. Actually, we're monitoring patients about how to be responsible for that. But when you get to the adult side, when that becomes much more of a common consideration, there is time in that visit that's set apart for fertility and family planning. Again, in peds, there's much more of a multidisciplinary team that there, so we'll have the social worker, we'll have child life sometimes, we'll have the dietitian, um, and that doesn't seem to happen as much in the adult practice. So what are the barriers we think about? Well, we are looking to see how ready is that patient at the age of 10 or 11 or 15 to go on to the next stage. Are they a very mature patient, or are they still very much passive? What's their cognitive ability? Everyone is different, so there are some patients who really can catch on pretty quickly about what their medical um, situation is and their needs, and some that actually need a bit more help. There are certainly different health insurances which may impact on this, and that there are differences um, in different healthcare providers. So what are the barriers? Well, there's no single uh, standardized model that is throughout the entire United States. We can't Um, find many places that actually can have a combined adult pediatric program because there's lack of time, space, and support funding. So we know that the insurance companies will not reimburse an adult gastroenterologist and a pediatric gastroenterologist at the same visit. That Many centers don't have the funding for actual transition program. There are different approaches between how an adult GI person um, delivers their care versus pediatric. Um, there's a difference also in how patients perceive their patients so one of the problems and I'll be the first one to admit it's really hard to let go of some of these kids because you've seen them from the age of 10 you've watched them grow you have watched them go on to college and by the time they really do need to move on to the adult world it's like letting go of your own child and so I'm one of the people who has a hard time and I don't push them out so in our institution um, 21 really is not the cutoff. The cutoff for us is when they finish college, because I just think that making that big uh, change is a little bit more challenging during the college years. Um, Sometimes there's inadequate communication between peds and the adults, so when you're in a hospital where there's no children's hospital, this might seem a little bit easier, and so those that are in children's hospital where the adult hospital may be miles away, that just that lack of um, being close to each other may impact on communication. And again, there's just variation in systems. So, what are the do's and the don'ts? Now we'll just get a little practical. What should you do? You should engage the patient in conversations in the office, regardless of what age they are. Um, You should ask the patient their symptoms. How many times have I asked a you know 16-year-old boy how many times a day do you stool? And he'll look at his mother, and I'll say, "Really? Are you serious?" All right, do you you have age-appropriate goals? So somebody who's 10 years old may not understand what a magnetic resonance enterography is, and I'm not saying that the 17-year-old will, but they will know that they have to go in, they have to not eat or drink anything, they're going to get an IV put in, and so there's a, a different maturity in what they're understanding. You should speak about the future. So, you know, just as we say to our kids, when you grow up, you're going to wind up going to college or you're going to learn how to drive a car or whatever. And so we create this anticipatory um, next goals in their head early on. And so we should be doing the same thing for pediatrics. So what we shouldn't do is you don't ignore the patient and only address the parent. And so very often I'll say, I'll, I'll move my chair to look directly at that um, pre-adolescent or even that adolescent. that said, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. Your mom's not um, allowed to interrupt unless you really don't know the answer. Um, so then, again, just not letting the parent speak for everything. You shouldn't allow the patient to be disengaged from the maturing process. So you should really give them a little bit of homework and say, look, next time you come in, I want you to be able to name all of your medications. And what they all travel around with is the phone, right? Have you ever walked down the street? Well, I don't know. This is, um, this is Texas, but in New York City I sometimes will take my phone and put it in my pocket and I'll count how many people I walk down the street and I see who have their face in their phone. But the thing that drives me most crazy is those are the people who do it while crossing the street. Right? So that drives me nuts because, number one, they can be hit by a car. But, number two, there are something called potholes in New York. And I've seen a number of people just flat out go because they've had, got their head in the phone. But anyhow, kids walk around with their iPhone. And so what I usually say is, gee, that's a really great iPhone. Is that the iPhone 10? Yes, yeah, Samsung, whatever. I go, good, can you open up to your notes section? Because we're going to put down all of the medications you're on, including the doses and how many times a day you take it. So the next time you come in, you can just open up your phone. And so the other thing too is that you don't want them to be scared about transition. You have to prepare them and say, you know, someday you will be going on to a wonderful adult provider, and we want to make sure that you're totally prepared for that. So we want to teach them self-management skills. You want they certainly should know what the name of their um, of their diagnosis is. I mean, right now we don't have IBD one, two, and three, but we're still stuck with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. You want to make sure that they know where their disease is. They want to know again what the names of the procedures that they're ordering for them. And again, you can see this is a whole developmental process. Medication and dose frequency, as we said before. They should know who their doctor is or who their nurse practitioner is or who their um, social worker is. Um, You want to make sure that they have the name of um, their provider and their phone along with the telephone number. They should, at some point, be able to manage their appointments because you know mom's not going to be calling to make their uh, adult appointments all the time. And certainly the adult provider's not going to talk to the mom about um, HIPAA-compliant issues. And you want to also be able to teach them about that insurance card, which it's hard enough for the adult world, but you can imagine how this is a learning process for pediatrics. And then when they go off to college, they shouldn't be calling their mother saying, um, can you call Dr. Socklow's office and ask them for a refill of methotrexate? It should be the patient at that point. So what happens uh, to our patients who actually don't go through this process very well? Well, we know there can be a delay in medical care. They could be, it should be lost to follow-up poor compliance with medications, increased emergency room visits because they don't have someone that they have um, connected with, and then increased race to hospitalization. So what are the expectations? So we'll go through each of these bars, but when you're the age of 11 to 13, they should be able to articulate their condition. They should have knowledge of their medication. Um, They should be able to use or read a thermometer, and they should be able to articulate The impact of their disease. So, really, that early beginning of uh, finding out what having a chronic condition is for a young person. And so, my philosophy is that it's unfair for kids to get sick, and that the number one thing they should worry about is what movie they would see on the weekend. And so, this may be the early point of where they can articulate how this is uh, really impacting their life. Between the age of 14 and 16, They want to know who their team is. They want to know, again, the names of the procedures, um, if there are support groups, and understand the risks of non-adherence. And that becomes really important because between 14 and 16, there's less of a parent interaction of them taking their medications. I'm not saying zero, but this is, again, another opportunity. And you may say between the age of 14 to 16, why do I really have to t- uh, talk about drugs and alcohol? Well, this is a time period where they're in, in middle school and high school, where although they may not necessarily be going to those parties, their older siblings or cousins might, and they may tag along. And so this is a, a good opportunity where you actually talk about the risks of cigarette smoking um, and alcohol at this point. 17 to 19, they're transitioning um, perhaps from high school on to that next point of either um, college or vocational school or maybe the military, and they should know about their disease for sure. They want to be able to book appointments at that point, be able to contact their team, they, should, again, should have some information about their insurance um, and understand about what the card looks like. And by the time they're 20 to 23, that's the point where we really think the transfer of care should have been well done and completed, and this is where they should be able to make that telephone conversation and schedule appointments as needed. Our, our adult colleagues prepared? And we asked, so 73% of our adult gastroenterologists report competency in the medical aspects of uh, adolescent care, so obviously not 100%, but only 46% said that they were actually prepared to take care of adolescents with developmental or mental issues. So there are various... uh, uh, tools that are available that you can actually incorporate into your practice, and there are different readiness tools. NASS began has a checklist. There's IBD yourself. There's the track, which um, has some ability to assess somebody's ability to take care of themselves, um, and then the unique transition scale. So transition readiness assessment questionnaire. You could see that there are different domains of managing your medications, keeping appointments, and tracking your health issues. And this may be one way to assess how well your um, adolescent is doing so that they're prepared for the adult world. Again, modern technology is amazing. Um, Having information on your phone, you can actually have, um, and what I do when I prepare my college or soon-to-be college students is I actually ask them to put the last note that I have, which um, has a summary of everything from um, where their disease is, what medications they've been on, um, their last vitamin levels, and to actually put it on either a USB key or keep it somewhere in the cloud. And if they do have and they've been prepared for filling their own prescriptions, they should have an app, for instance, of maybe one of the local pharmacies to be able to ask for a refill. This is a track list um, that, uh, I'm sorry, the checklist from began that I was referring to that you might use this in your um, in your office to see how well that they're doing. And when is the right time to have the discussion of the birds and the bees? So you may want to have the discussion with the parents and um, and the patients at beginning at the age of 11 to 14, sort of going along with the whole thing of, you know, someday you'll be driving a car, or someday you'll go off and be on your own. Um, At this time, there may be discussion about the differences between peds and the adult uh, office, and so this is also highlighting the the cultural difference in the two settings. You can introduce the idea of age-appropriate knowledge expectations, so what we would expect a 14-year-old versus an 18-year-old is a little bit different, and again, just highlighting that it is a process, that there's step-by-step developmental um, uh, readiness at each point. And you may want to track it in your, um, in your electronic medical record to see how well they're doing and that um, at the right time to see the patient alone. It's interesting. So it's a 50-50. Some parents will say, do you want me to leave? And sometimes they'll say, maybe I should just talk with um, your, your son by myself. Is that okay? And I generally don't get resistance. Occasionally you'll see the parent like really close to the door wanting to hear, but thank goodness the doors we have in our office are pretty thick. Um, So, suggested documents for the first visit. You want to, we as pediatricians would do a favor to everyone by having a good summary letter which has the data diagnosis, where the disease is, whether they've had extra intestinal manifestations, if they've had hospitalizations or surgeries, and what types of medications had they used in the past. You want to have important information about what type of health insurance they have. You want to make sure that they have. Uh, appointments on their calendar again their iphone or their smartphone is excellent for this and then again having the important contact information it's important to have that collaboration of care because you certainly don't want any of our patients to be lost through the cracks Um, You want to make sure that your adult provider and you have had a conversation, if you're the pediatrician, about how best this process would be in your community, and it can be different everywhere else. Um, And even though we have a lot of good information in our letters and in our summaries, sometimes when the pediatrician or when the adult provider actually talk talk about things that you wouldn't necessarily put in the note, like you know, this mom hovers over her child or this dad knows way too much about his 18-year-old daughter's menstruation. It gives you know the, the providers both an understanding of what the psychodynamics of the family are. Different options, as we said before, there are different transition models, sometimes there are joint clinics. Uh, there can be an idea of you know, going once to the adult physician, then back to the pediatrician if it was a successful visit, and then the handoff. Um, but there is no standard. And so wherever you are, whatever your community is, and whatever the situation is, is to first of all just have the conversation with the adult provider to make sure that you can seamlessly transition or transfer that patient over so that everyone is comfortable. There are different levels of models, as we said before. I won't go through this, um, but the important thing is to really understand there's been a lot that has influenced parents' behaviors and children's behaviors, and we have to just be recognizing that there are different patterns of how we can best do this. The benefits of having a good uh, formal transition program, if that actually exists where you are, is that um, it's normalization of the development, as we said before, great self-management skills so that they can understand their disease, they can speak on their own, there's good decision-making, they can make their own appointments, and most importantly, self-advocacy, because it is absolutely heartwarming to me when I have uh, a young person who is You know, within a few months, a few years of going on to that independence where they actually ask really smart questions anticipatory questions about things and I'm open to everything as I always say, I'm not your mother, I'm not your clergy, I'm not your therapist, I'm your doctor and I'm just going to give you information and what you choose to do with that information is yours but education of what will happen if, okay, is really important So in conclusion, transition is not a transfer of care. It's a seamless transfer of care, that it takes timing and education and care of planning, that everyone's adult and pediatric IBD groups should be collaborating on the best strategies to make this process uh, seamless and successful. A well-prepared IBD adolescent um, will in turn turn out to be a self-advocating and self-confident adult IBD person, do plan a transition program in your community and don't wait too long so that you get a phone call from your adult colleague that she couldn't get the mother out of the room. Thank you.